0: Hello listeners and welcome to another episode of Quote Unquote with KK. I would love to now talk about the 5G era in India. Next week, our Prime Minister will be inaugurating 5G in our country and obviously there will be the providers of 5G which is Airtel, Jio and Vodafone and many others who have bidded for 5G who also be making headline statements about what just 5G revolution will be doing to this country. However, a large part of our country is still not having access to the basic mobile telephony even with 2G or maybe 3G or 4G as well. And therefore, I would love to talk about in our today's podcast 5G and how can social tech ventures deliver better impact and happiness to rural India. You see, many of our podcasts discussed on happiness at a broad level and maybe also urban centric. And therefore, in today's podcast, we would like to shift the focus to the rural India and how happiness can be delivered to the rural heartland of India at the cusp of launching 5G and the technologies which will bring revolution and change the lives of people in India. Let me also talk about the issues on the ground. In the past and during the pandemic, the government and social ventures had launched several initiatives using technology to reach the mass. Initiatives like Aadhaar, Vaccine Portal, Direct Benefit Transfer, Financial inclusion schemes are many such initiatives. Obviously, a large part of those are running or being accessed by the rural folks through their mobile phone. And by my own personal experience on such initiatives, I've had a very negative experience and I keep wondering if there is some sort of Ponzi activity running behind it or working behind. Let me give you an example of what I'm saying. When I went to register my own Aadhaar using my own mobile number, I was given to understand that there are several other cards already registered on my own personal mobile number from very remote parts of India. I did not even know that this was going on and my mobile number was already in the Aadhaar database with no prior intimation to me. I had to call the UIDAI chairman Nandan Nilakani, the then CTO and CEO of UIDAI technology center Dr. Pramod Verma to sort out the fraud or dubious ways where people in different parts of India, including rural India, were imposed using my mobile number. Long is short, I was finally able to get my other number on my mobile number and the other other numbers were subsequently deregistered from my mobile. Once again, my mobile number was used by several people to register for their vaccine. Although I was eligible for vaccine under the healthcare worker, I had to go into queue and get the vaccine months later when the government opened up the private healthcare providers to vaccinate people. Such has been my unhappy. Now, can you wonder that I get on my mobile SMSs for LPG guest subsidy, bank accounts, and the list goes on. Now, how would this be happening in the rural context with somebody who's trying to get services using their mobile phone from various different agencies? And I'm sure many such rural folks who are naive would have been victim to such frauds and impersonation by other people. And hence, to get things done, you have to connect to people at higher prices places and escalate to sort out these issues and get the system cleaned up. The same is true with the private sector and PSUs who are getting their system hacked, be it electricity connection bills, gas bills, and millions of people like me and millions who are deprived because there is a bug in that technology that drive this to a whole host of unhappiness across country and particularly the rural masses who are so technology naive. In the past, I have been part of several ICT development initiatives, not just in India, but in Africa as well. While the intent and vision of these have been positive and onerous, the actual execution on the ground of the technology sometimes have been a hit and miss. So, how can we create a much more engaging, inclusive technology platform that can deliver impact and happiness to the masses? To talk all this, I have invited Dr. Aditeshwar Siet, who is a co-founder at Gramvani and also professor at IIT Delhi. Let me discuss a little bit more about Adi. I had come in touch with Adi since 2010 when I visited him and I was a senior executive at Cisco that was driving the 108 and 104 health initiatives in this country. In 2013 when I wrote an article creating a socially and inclusive social media in healthcare in India. I had profiled Gramvani in my article. The article was so powerful that in 2017, when I was visiting New York and the Facebook office at Broadway in New York, I happened to meet the chief marketing officer who was working out of that office. It was a half an hour unscheduled discussion with her. And the critical issue that we discussed was how could Facebook be more inclusive? They did not even have an idea about the reach and access of a social media platform to the rural masses. And I thank Adi for providing me the real issues and inspiration for the thought leadership and even the folks of Facebook who really appreciated my point of view in that article. More about Adi, he has written books and his recent book we are going to talk about in our podcast as well, which is on technology. Adi has done his PhD under Professor S. Keshev and Professor R. Cohen from the University of Waterloo. He has been associated in the technology side of things ever since. And in 2019, he and his students released a website to monitor the biases in policy making, the giant economy monitor. Bringing together much of his learnings that he has gained over the last decade and a half, he has written a book, Technology and Disempowerment, A Call to Technologies, which he recently published. It's a seminal work in countries like India and a call to action for various social entrepreneurs and technologists who struggle to build the right tech for the common business. Base for the rural mass. And I would love to talk about so welcome to our podcast, quote unquote, with KK Adi. It's a pleasure pleasure you here. Let Thank me you. first start with the inspiration on the discussion on Gramvani, which really impressed. And can you tell me about Gramvani? How does it work? What was your motivation and inspiration to start it? And can you talk about your journey and lessons learned to Gramvani?
1: Yeah, thanks, KK. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, so diving straight in. So I Actually, the inspiration for Gramani really came seeing how social media was really revolutionizing and democratizing communication. It was giving the power of, in the hands of the people to talk about their issue, hold governments accountable, stakeholders accountable. And this is sort of, I'm talking 2009, before the time media got its bad name. But yeah, and the problem, however, was that it was only access, the literate population, the internet-connected population. And it's similar for rural areas where there are literacy challenges and internet and, and so many other issues. So so this was really the inspiration and uh, one of the key things that we zeroed down on was voice as a medium of communication because this becomes like a lowest common denominator that's accessible to anybody. And then since then, we've been building, uh, we've worked on several different platforms. When we started Gramvani, we worked on community radio, which is basically a very participatory medium that local communities to create their own content in order to share it locally. And everything being local, it means that information is very contextual, you can understand it easily. And uh, people also understand the local power dynamics. So they are the best judge of what to say, what not to say, how to Strategize around making sure the panchayats are more equitable. The local governments are ahead more. Account. So, so, so we did that in radio, and then after a couple of years, we uh, started offering this IVR interactive voice Because one of the issues that community radio was faced that it can only broadcast in a given radius, and therefore it's only accessible to that particular community. But we we, knew, we we could see that because of migration, people move out, but still they want to remain connected with their home, native place, and community radio also lies So that's. When using interactive voices and uh, this was great because people could people uh, the way the system works you can call they can listen to audio mess and they can record their own messages which is the key part and then these messages that they record can be heard by other people so it's very useful to start discussions in communities on social issues on government schemes on policies even like good local events youth events cupidity matches cricket matches just about anything so so yeah so those were those were really the things that we wanted to do and using voice has been validated very nice now we're also offering the same service whatsapp and over an android app that has people migrate to smart but they're still able to similar services and uh, and yeah i mean the lessons learned have really been tremendous partly we've seen the communities be very very imaginative in the use cases that they evolve out of using these systems so right using them for question answering in agriculture where somebody asks a question other people in the community help answer these questions similarly question health accountability issues on government schemes and grievance redresser. These have been some relevant use cases. But one of the biggest lessons which I think is what I've sort of reflected upon deeply in my book is really the limit you can expect from technology alone. Because very honestly when we started Gravvani, we were just a team of five techies. I myself, I, I teach here in the government department at IIT Delhi and we had a very, very naive notion that we know how to build technology, we'll build it and it'll change the world. But actually when we started working on the ground, that's when we realized that building the tech was the easiest part. The harder part actually getting people to understand how to use it, think about why it is useful, and then give feedback about problems that were arising as they were using it. And not just like technical problems, but actual social problems and how we should evolve policies around this. So all the stuff that we see social media dealing with today on content moderation and so on, all of this is what so experience, build policies, very different methods actually. You can talk about some of that as we go along. Absolutely. So yeah, so I mean, the experience is very, very rich and it really was humbling for us to understand that just thinking about it from a technocratic lens is very very limiting. We really need a much broader perspective to make sure that the techies are don't don't create harm, they, they're uselessly and how to scaffold the technology so that it serves cashy impacts. So those have been really some interesting key lessons. In
0: fact, Adi, I would echo the same even for for-profit ventures. The yeah, guys from IIT and all these engineering colleges know how to build the tech, but the business model model and ground pack of how to run on the technology they still struggle and then people like us have entered and work with them to solidify the business model behind it. so what you have echoed i guess is the same naivety with a lot of the technocrats and the techies Start a venture with a very grandiose vision, but still struggle to, you know, get the success and the impact on the ground.
1: Correct, correct. Exactly.
0: I wanted to understand when you started, it was just voice and obviously technology and tech has also evolved. You have now got podcast, another kind of voice medium, which I am doing and you are participating is also a form of a medium of creating content and disseminating it. Then you have also got now people who have started OTT platforms, and I personally have been the first to experiment OTT with voice as one of the first podcasts on Z5 as well as a platform. So, voice as a medium, I agree that you you created it and it was a fast dissemination one. But haven't you even thought that Gramwani could even evolve at a much bigger social content generation mechanism with various other platforms on which you could integrate and disseminate? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, actually, uh, we're trying to distinguish between content in terms
1: of essentially cu- curated centrally recorded content and content for engagement. So voice is very good for the second where it provides a mechanism for people to engage. The act what internally call it studio generated content because it's sort of built in the studio and there it really depends the access capability is the infrastructure right video for example if, if it is easy to create video then that's fine otherwise you can do it on voice if there is good literacy in the coming you can even do text but voice sound is very very good for a quick interaction modality with the people so that I th- is, is sticking with us even uh, even with our app for example and even with our whatsapp channel we regularly also push uh, youtube videos over youtube and uh, any other interesting like infographics or any other inf- interesting useful material that we find but we we've seen again and again that for users it's uh, it's easy for them to ask questions or provide some feedback over voice
0: great you started Granbani when it was 2G generation and now we are going to be embark 5G generation and let me tell you you know even having the smartest of the smartphone when I go on my land which is 70 kilometers here in a very the most backward district of India the Palga district I don't even get a 1G let alone 2G and to run a lot of our technology based platforms and solution at least now the bare minimum is 3G how and and what do you think to be telling our telecom and government that to have gramin like models like gramvani many other social ventures and impact models, leveraging technology, that the connectivity needs to be there. That's the bare minimum that can lead creating all these other technology-driven impact models. Where What has been your experience of the connectivity in the rural areas? Is it still 1G, 3G, 4G, or we're still, I don't know where we are? No, I mean...
1: Connectivity has improved a lot. In fact, I mean, in at least in all the block headquarters, uh, typically that we go, there is good four G connectivity. So, but still, deeper into the rural areas, that's where three G is not active anymore, and two G many handsets now don't sort of support it. So, so now that becomes a problem. That earlier there was a basic channel that was available, but even that is broken. G sort of the only option. But that said, I mean, connectivity has definitely improved a lot. Even smartphone ownership. Although there's a big skew in, at, at the household level, most, many households do have smart but the access to the device with the male members, idols or maybe with the young son sort of, there's a big digital gender divide. So in general, I think the more be- connectivity there is, definitely it will it'll be better and there is a long way to go, but we have definitely come a long way as compared to what it was.
0: So you think the government and now even Google and Facebook have invested in our telecom providers like Reliance and- Airtel is that not going to be invested in creating the rural infrastructure for connectivity, or it is just going to be still you know enhancing the 4G, 5G, 6G, and there is going to be a big divide between urban connectivity and technology. Yeah, I mean, so that's aspects I do talk about in my book
1: also. That Correct. typically, technology when it's done by the market system, it tends to amplify the market will always try to optimize for markets where there is. Greater disposable income, where they can right sell products, and they know that if they advertise, right, you buy. So, so same is the case with connectivity. Also, and it's always been there that a lot of the investment therefore gets skewed towards urban areas or developed areas, and rural areas are. I mean, it's, it just becomes the gap just widening, right? It's like a ever receding horizon, just keeps getting further and further. So, but that said, come do want to expand to rural markets? It's closely connected with the, the state of the economy. If, if rural areas pick up, then people. Would want to purchase and buy and everything, but definitely the government plays. So the government does have these funds called the USO funds, where, which they use for investing and creating rural infrastructure. It's not clear how their fund is with 4G. For example. I think 4G is pretty much being driven by the private sector. But but yeah, there is a strong role for bringing some kind of
0: makes for greater equity. Otherwise, techies will keep I think the digital divide on expanding further and further as yeah. urban-centric population. Has much more uh, greater right. and connectivity, whereas right. uh, rural India lags behind. Right. And I would love to take your comment on this one. Recently, Vodafone India mm-hmm. talked about, you know, we are enhancing our network and much more faster so that you can sell more ice cream. That's how the guy was t- mm-hmm. t- telling to the ice cream vendor. Right. Now, the corollary there, a lot what you talked about the trade commerce and social commerce, now the more buzzword for the as deeper into the heart of India, how much is the penetration and how much is this really a real opportunity? Because people over here in the boardrooms talk about big numbers, big numbers, big access and everything. But you have been on the ground. Can you elaborate? Where is the penetration? If you even have the basic infrastructure of connectivity? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So, I mean,
1: many things are relevant, right? One of the connectivity. The the other is the, just the state of the economy, right? That what sort of a social commerce will be enabled in remote pockets. Right, where currently if even the basic needs of people are not being met. So I think India has always had very large diversity and the narratives, therefore, are applicable, right? It's not that these narratives are not valid, but, but they are valid in a much smaller pocket. Maybe they're projected as rural is changing, right? But that's it is. It is valid maybe in like more closer places, closer to block centers, district centers, but it's still nowhere close in terms of much further areas. Over there, we still see basic issues. Issues of the road infrastructures being broken, electricity availability. With climate change we are seeing a lot of problems with access to irrigation facilities. Rains are erratic and even now so we do a lot of work in areas in Har and Jharkhand and the rains were delayed and it cost in the news we we hear in terms of Kharif cropping for paddy coming down a couple of percentage points but those couple of percentage points actually mean a lot when it comes to the farmers who are producing because they are all actually since if they lose our being able to transplant their saplings in time, the investment is also wasted plus they don't even have the the food coming in at the right time. So yeah, so I mean long story short, there are, India will always have these many, many different narratives. We will talk in terms of India and Bharat, but actually even over there, there's a very wide spectrum. Yeah.
0: So can I put a number, say on 1 out to 10, we may be what, 3 out of 10 as far as connectivity is concerned, the deepest deepest rural India? Yeah, I, I mean I would, maybe overall, I would Say, maybe something like
1: five or six out of ten, there is still, at least I think, the Indian population that is lacking access either to connectivity or just in terms of the socio cultural dynamics. Where, like I was mentioning, there is a very gender uh, digital gap which which needs to be bridged. So, there are, and, and this is not like I was saying, right? The connectivity, right? Socio cultural, there's also a big element of digital literacy also over here. Correct. Right. And the reason why that is important is not just so that people can use technology. But also be aware of where the technology is wrong, what should they be concerned about. So you, you, for example, spoke about this fraud that often happens with Aadhaar, right? Same mobile number. These things are day in, day out of with people getting swindled, their very hard-earned income by phishing scam, right? Somebody calls you, says, right, you've won a lottery, right? Give give us your OTP and this and that. Even more than that, right? The sadder part is uh, even like cash transfers. Which are done by the government through direct benefit from it. Now, in some sense, it's great that the money is directly going into people's bank accounts, so there's no middlemen and so on. But in the realities, banks are actually very far away. Correct. So people can't travel to the banks, and therefore the mechanism the mechanism that's being evolved is something called customer service points, which are either physical kiosks run by banks or compant, or it's actually people who travel to villages with a post right. and people do a biometric authentication and they can then get but over there also we have seen countless cases of fraud where the the operators who are running printing machines, they get the biometric authentication done and then they tell people that your authentication failed but okay. actually it had succeeded uh-huh. and then the money gets pocketed by them. So okay. we have seen this kind of issues and the reason why coming down to this digital literacy thing is that with greater connectivity, people are coming online, there's this access and there's so many options that open up Correct. be it for consuming news be it for drone application, anything but till the time people are not really, they, they don't have a Grip over what is this tech? Does it work? Where does it go wrong? What should we be concerned about? What are the risks? It can lead to a lot of exploitation, where those who understood the system, they're able to hack, they're able to exploit, and ultimately, it's the the poor who are not so savvy, who don't have access to grievance redressal procedures, they end up losing out. So that is yet another thing I think we just talk physical infrastructure of connectivity or like access of device. We often miss out on this other very important aspect. Maybe the tech is just too fast and. Right. people are not able to understand and,
0: and be yeah. uh, made for dummies or idiots right uh, Adi, i want to bring it up in terms of the digital divide this is some study that we had done as a fund and an investor on which are the best states to invest in 21 using our algos and a whole host of data and one of the key parameters that we used was penetration of digital health across which there were different other parameters sub-parameters and what we found in that parameter of digital health because over time and lockdown was moving with telemedicine, delivery of healthcare across digital health you know, vaccines that were going to come up. We find a very big variation even across state on penetration of digital or connectivity. And as you rightly said, Bihar and those states are very, very lagging behind. And some of the states like the aswil IP, and the southern states have a much better connect. Why is that? And what is the reason why the some of the states, in spite of 70 plus years, have so lagged behind? Whereas southern states have actually invested or, or have created a, an enabling connectivity and environment for delivery of all these sort of social services on technology and, and mobile and internet and whatever. I mean, I think it's got to do with the economic policies, right? The social and economic
1: policies of the state. I mean, southern states like especially Kerala and Tamil Nadu have had a much stronger accountability in relation And that sort of gets reflected there even probably in terms of what the state and demand from the private sector Uh, and but maybe in many other states like in in North India in UP, Bihar all of these
0: I mean these are some of these uh, states which are almost 20% of the of the potential of the infrastructure in the southern state. Right. I mean, I'm just giving a number. It's not to yeah. be taken hard in stone but because we crunch a whole host of statistics and a lot of data the media and on a lot of complaints and try and all that other to actually arrive at this heat map across the states, yeah. comparing the states. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. So
1: I think it's a lot to do with the policies and the policies which have also shaped the development state so far. So if the state has been, the bureaucracy sort of has been weak in implementation of welfare, the communities have because of whatever much longer duration history of feudal systems. The community is not the social movements are weaker. A community empowerment is lesser for the citizens to demand more accountability. So I think it's it's really a, a mix of all of these factors, which then of course affect development, and then further, therefore, consequently, the investments that the private sector feels comfortable in making in these states. Yeah, I mean, so this we see every time, right? With industrialization, anything is Correct. the same industrial areas which keep getting more and more industries so if you look at the industrialized industrialization heat map right it's just a couple of islands here and there everything right. aligned right. So, so it's that there is definitely a big, big role of looking at like resource allocation with equity lens. so even things like CSR for example so we, we see that even CSR typically gets invested in these areas where companies already have their factories and sort of meant to benefit the community around that right. even though right other areas right left even behind so that fairness in some sense needs to be imposed by the state and the state needs to be handled by it's a, it's a vicious circle unless the citizens are empowered enough they will
0: demand enough. Adi if I were to summarize for many more Grambani like and gramin like initiatives and social ventures to come up and be successful in India we have a wide variation of first of all the connectivity second in terms of how deep and how widespread the population is in the nook and cranny of each of the states the third thing is that to enable all how accessible and how open the community and I guess these are a few things that I'm learning from the conversation that I have had and last how amenable and how quick the social venture entrepreneur is to pivot and learn on the ground and make the thing much more viable and impact is that correct?
1: I think the reality is very complex like you said there are so many of these factors You, you need a model and which can potentially work in many many diverse conditions and the problems to solve are also much multifaceted from i mean it's not just about creating something which is financially sustainable to even to get there you need to drive community adoption and for community adoption need you need to invest also in basic awareness and so that people can consider different options where they can try out so so yeah so i mean the reality is complex and that's really crux one of the problems that when happens talk about technology driven ventures is that the promise that is really sold with right is that it will help scale whatever you do it techno if you bring in technology it have scaled that and that i think is is a hard sell because the world is very very complex and thinking that this kind of one of the people in this space of icts technologies for development right kentaro toyama he calls these packaged interventions right Mm. that okay there's a template there's a package you just deploy that package and you deploy it everywhere and change. so that in reality doesn't work and that is why we all see many risks many harms also arising from these tech ventures because they've not really considered that complexity they've sort of just jumped into it very nicely, And that is why you need many, many other processes around it. Processes right, to shape usage policies, to shape how you respond to community feedback, you spot problems, and, and then you take it seriously to try and fix f- fix your systems so that these problems don't arise. So I think a lot of the, the tech lash, uh, right, a big tech, like Facebook especially, has been around these lines that have they done enough to address the problems which the plant have in them. And this is really arising, I think, this underlying notion mean a very simplistic model of and not acknowledging the deep complexity that the technology need to cater to.
0: Adi, I want to have before I pull issue around Gramwani social impactful business models. A lot of people social venture ecosystem talk about impact back ESG environmental governance and talk about a lot of this. But as a social venture entrepreneur and having done Gramwani I'm sure you would have a better idea of what impact parameters are on which a tech venture like yours we measured people here talk about different, and I think they are pedantic and theoretical rather than practical in terms of what impact it is all about I would love to hear in terms of how you have gone about defining that social impact and the biggest impact is happiness and that's the bottom yeah. of our season is health and happiness right. so I would love to get from your mouth what went about and how you have defined those impact parameters
1: yeah actually that's a it's a, I I would say it's work in progress. It, I think it will always be work in progress. But, right, so the longer answer, I think, really is that, you see, technically, there are many ways, of course, measuring impact. When we talk about tic development, where it's specifically meant to create some development changes, over there, there are a plethora of indicators, SDGs, and then all the sub-indicators under these SDGs, and there are well established randomized control trials, and experimental difference methods, and many, many such methods, right, that can help measure. And I think even saying the social Stock exchange are trying to bring in some of that element. So now there are pros and cons on many fronts. So I think one, it's good to measure because that will help direct the investments which are actually making a change. So I think it's good from that. The the challenge, of course, is that the additional investment effort required to do these measurements that may not always be feasible, especially when it comes to startups, so small small enterprises, and that can create an uneven playing where established enterprises, right? Maybe they all already have done these RCTs they, have, they will naturally get an upper hand over organizations not done it the other issue also is that metrics like the SD they are a good set of metrics but they are not complete in itself because there are I mean there are so many things so, so when we talk to people in our own community right, we then try and do right, so there are these qualitative methods like the most significant change method so what that the way it works is you get people in discussion and then you go around the circle asking everybody how has this really changed your life and it's all recall based stuff and then the community discusses and finally they come to a consensus and I mean here there are very very different things that we, we hear so when we talk to volunteers that how has this changed you so it's fine yeah some of our volunteers say that it really made us very happy that we were able to see that we were able to do to our community we use mobile Vani, we raised grievances and then grievances got addressed transparency that we brought about and, and it is great but new things come up right that volunteers say that it just made us more confident in public speaking some of our women volunteers say that you give us a very very small stipend which is right, of really really small but some of them have actually been able to save just this stipend and they were able to use this for education of their daughter and now how do you start defining now these kind of impact parameters say that in my model I will have so many percentage of my volunteers will be able to send their daughter I mean that indicator for it will be very difficult to measure but and second won't even be able to anticipate that such a thing is something you would have same when it comes to the communities that now many users for instance example, tell us that what we gained is about problems that different communities in our village face. We know those people, we know these families, they live in the same hamlet or neighboring hamlet, but we didn't actually know what problems they're actually facing. But now through this platform, we've gotten that awareness and now we were conscious when we sit in Gram Sabha meetings and try and discuss how Nareka funds should be used, for example. So, so I mean, the thing is that the way technology or anything impacts people, it is a moving target in the sense that really many, many aspects will emerge over time you may so that makes it challenging definitely when it comes to investors or even, you know, things like social stock exchange and everything that how how much of agility will they permit or are they sort of imposing a rigidity? And that then ultimately means that innovation, new thing for new things to emerge and sort of established players, established methods, that kind of a narrative keeps getting perpetuated. And which is also in the development space that has been the narrative for the last 50 years since right. when development itself as a concept started being challenged by people like Arturo Esco. That is development is a top-down. So this is actually a fact because right. being imposed top-down literally means that right somebody has come and said, okay, these are the indicators. Show me an impact on those. But why are those the most important indicator Are you open to listening from
0: people that right, what indicators do they want? So that's where... I agree with this issue that we have also discussed with the whole issue of impact and how do you measure and where is the audit mechanism and so on and so forth. While we were delivering stock exchange regulation, one of the things and you rightly echoed, you know, when you go bottom-up inductive approach rather than a top down deductive approach. The data is a challenge. And it's it's a challenge on both sides. Even top down or bottom-up because somewhere you are out on the aggregation and data loss and be able to make this whole framework much more powerful, much more validated. You need data and Mm -hmm. the whole crunch on the data and where the whole is that data itself is not shared or it's not transparently shared because some vested interests don't want to get it shared, don't want it to come up so that people can understand the issue, can come and work on problems and solutions around that. I want your take because social stock exchange as a platform will only succeed when there are more players on it, when there are more donors on it, and there is transparency around how you define that impact. So, I would love to get your take on this, then we'd love to move on to another topic. Actually, that point is very valid, Kapil,
1: and I'll examine an alternate model agriculture where, people, for example, are talking about a stronger connect with the consumer and the farmer. So, this the farm is a farm to folk model and what we are talking Right. But actually, I mean, more than farm to fork. So, farm to fork can be done in many ways. That you have right. the farmers are making something, you have an intermediary who picks it up, you have a consumer gets delivered. But that's not creating a consumer-farmer connect. So, right. imagine, right, if there was something where the, consu- the exact farm from which their food is coming, they also know the farmer. There are some, let's say, you know, I mean, social media is everywhere these days, right? Maybe right. there are these social media systems for the consumers to remain connected with the farmers. And, I mean, how about that kind of a system? Because this will encourage transparency. The farmers would want the consumer you know, what. Challenges they're facing, and then they become joint risk takers. Because why yeah. should the farmer be the risk taker in whole setup? Risk Correct. from weather, and and then figure out crop insurance and all sorts of mechanisms. Why can't the consumers also participate in that risk? Because actually, the way they, the I mean, the agri policy is also typically evolves for more for consumer protection rather than for farmer protection. Right. So, Food so have, Yeah, right, exactly. So, but if such kind of maybe these are I don't know what term is possibly used, but uh, cooperative uh, but which are joint cooperatives, right? Not just like farmer cooperatives which is typically one model that, but joint cooperatives with farmers and consumers and where the consumers are investing directly or I mean investing in the sense be it as a grant be it as a be it as equity whatever right but that's one you know direct connect with the community that is being impacted so I think that such models can potentially be considered now that the technology and right for making all of these are getting better and better and there are a couple of initiatives which try to do something like this like in India there's there's this initiative called Rangde which Mm. yeah so they enable retail people to, to sort of give loans and grants to micro enterprises and they establish this personal connect. So I think in that sense, in that case, the data could take any form. It could be qualitative data. It could be photographs, right? It need not always be like very metricated. but I think this can be an alternate model rather than have
0: institutions and through that. Display. Yeah, again, I wanted to go a little beyond the regulatory framework here. You see, cooperative again becomes a different framework outside of of whole impact-based stock exchange. But these days, there's something called crowd, crowd fund, crowd, you could say a crowd consumer platform and a crowd supplier or a farmer platform intermediation to these different crowd platforms. That could be a direct kind of a model of commerce of the future. I guess that somewhere the technology also works, impact also can be defined, the data is also available and the win-win for all. No, yeah. I mean, I think there are all
1: these are good and, and I'm not saying that social exchange is a bad idea. I think it, it's great but I'm just saying that there are I mean, multiple such things which can fill in gaps for each other. Exactly, that can really keep thinking about us.
0: Adi, I want to now take another topic, your book. Very inspiring for me. I've read it cover to cover and for the benefit of the audience, Adi written a book on technology and I would love Adi spread the message, the inspiration behind the book and going to be available. I will share the link also on the podcast for you to order it and book the book and read the book as well. Particularly, for people who want to be social venture entrepreneurs, as well as people who participate in the technology and technology development in the sector, as well as people who want to take up a career in development as well. So, Adi, I'd love to hear from your mouth. It's a great thesis. I've never found this so far, and I'm really excited to read and talk about it on this podcast.
1: No, thanks so much, Kapil, for speaking so kindly about this. So, so yes, yeah, so the book is called Technology and Disempowerment with Disempowerment in brackets and so that's sort of the main theme that technology of course empowers but it cannot power so that's one of the things i've tried to entangle that how should technology be built and managed so that it more rather than problems that it creates and the subtitle for the book is a call to technologists which i wanted to aim the book basically towards technologists basically people like me who think that and want to build technology and with the right intention that it benefits. and therefore what all should we really keep in mind so i talked uh, several things so in terms of how there I go into some some depth in terms of so one is some problems in the technology design itself where the, the design itself might be biased towards some agenda and what these issues, uh, how to be careful about not to have such issues surface. Then I say that, so so you might be familiar with this whole no, ethics by design. These days right. we hear a lot about privacy for example. Privacy by design is built into the technology. So one of the other themes I explore is that just embedding things into the design itself is not sufficient because exactly the things we were talking about, that the world is very complex and uh, you will not be able to anticipate all of this complexity to be able to design it such that it's able to you know, earth in many, many diverse Surprises will spring up. The word is MSX and not all of it can be, built, be it for AI, be it for other as So now how do you manage it in a better way? And this is where need to build process that you're getting regular feedback, the users from other stakeholders, even indirectly, other people that might be influenced by the technology, so that list and you're trying to fix. So the ethics, for example, might be informing the design of the technology. The same ethics will need to be demonstrated and created and sticks managed going forward. Then the other things I explore is the standpoint of technologists that okay now all of this is 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 fine it's it's known i mean i'm not the only one saying these things many other people in better much better in much better ways than me about design issues management issues and problems that technology creates but then why do we still have problems keep coming up again and again so that's where i go a bit into things like the organizational structure where if the typically the way including technology companies are structured is you have engineers in one department you have designers in another department the business team in the department All of this creates silos and which impedes flow of information so that the engineers also often don't know what to build, what's the right thing to build, because it might not be flowing. So so there are some of these things about the organizational culture, about the organizational structure that often impedes what values are actually practiced. There are values which might be stated, but then there are values which actually are actually being enacted. And so some of the gaps uh, arise often from the organizational setup. The other part, which is the biggest challenge, and there is no Easy way around it. The other part, because of which often ethics is ignored, is the political economy in which the technology is being developed. And this is where sometimes some technologies might be favored by the state for certain things. So, for example, Soshana Zuboff has written this fantastic book, Serverless Capital, where she chalked the growth of Google and Facebook as happening at around the same time when 9 11 happened. And this was because even though the companies were looking into data, private private lives of people, and, and using that. For business, but the regulations were not coming down heavily. The regulatory agents, I mean nowadays the regulatory agents more heavily, Especially in Europe. But at that time they were not because they were actually so able to use this information that is collecting. So there are these kind of political events which happen when the state might favor certain types of tech it for its own reasons, and that leads to an erosion, of what values are followed. Often otherwise, there is also the whole growth mindset where you right. So this goes into the impact metrics that we were talking about. Just now that if you're just trying to maximize like number of users and to optimize your operations for that, then you will miss out on many things, right? Correct. Because I mean it might be easier to acquire users who are already tech savvy, users who are young men, but then you're actually missing out on many other demographic groups. And so this again is not in because it requires you to deploy capital for cases where you know you will not get as much of a return, and this means that you have to forego. But are investors willing to forego? I think so. Things like ESG, I mean they have a lot of power, they can invest. Investors, if they right. want, they can try and build some of these guardrails. But will they? Because, I mean, there is competition. If you, uh, right, so can ethics really be a business model? I don't know. I mean, in the sense that if somebody wants to invest in a company, which will say, I will have smaller number of users, but more impact. Another company which says, I don't care about, right, impacting the cost. I just maximize the users. Where will the investors put in their money, right? If everybody is putting their money into the second case, then naturally, I mean, it leads to unfair. But that is really where the constraints of operating in a very competitive system comes in. So, uh, so this is the other aspect I also explore. And with the idea, basically, that I sort of, right, I mean, as an engineer, I was very naive about all of this. I had no clue. Uh, I've just read and through experiences, I've learned some of this. So, this is something which I would like my students and other technologists sort of to also keep in mind that where are they're in? What outcomes is their labor leading to? Because very often, we don't think about it. We, we want to work hard. We're working hard. We think that things are having an impact because it's by billions of users. and. Right. But is that suffering? And so this is where the other part which I call right, the, a call to technology is that I say that technologists actually have a lot of power today because, I mean, you, you look at any company, anybody, they all are employee retention of their biggest challenge. And, but if technologists sort of say that, well, want that we, even in governments, we want a government department more ethical, to be fair, to sort of not just chase metrics and but to actually also look at impact metrics. So if technologists do collectivize and they come together, then I think they can change, really, the variables that the political economy The ways forces to to chase
0: and if that can then
1: i think the world can really change
0: i want to take up the point of girl and metas of the world you see the data that is coming out of system is now getting built behind garden so apple meta google even geo Kaios running a large part of rural india and then you have your other platforms like the Twitter and what have you they are building garden the data and the content actually is of the user billions of users across india but they now Are not going beyond their platform. What is the future trend here? Dangerous for such players to influence social and societal behavior through their own tech platforms, and that also means that they are creating monopolistic social structures around the leverage of technology. Will this not lead a very different fragmentation of society around tech users, billions of tech users? Yeah, it's a dangerous trend, I see. Yeah, but I think there are
1: multiple layers to it also. I mean, the fundamental is what data is being collected and what is it used? So I mean that's overarching whether that data is all card shared in some way. But the point is that if this data is being used for exploitation, users as consumers, right? So sort of like the argument that Soshana Zuboff makes in surveillance capital. The data is actually to shape consumer behavior. To sort of right, if you can predict that if you show this ad, click on it, then I mean you're not just profiting the user, clicking on the ad, but you're the greater use of the technology is in persuading the user to buy that particular product.
0: Yeah, and uh, okay. you know you take part of the profit right. of the social commerce that is getting generated. So you are right. getting richer right. but the consumer and the social society at large is not getting richer. Exactly. So I think that's like a more deeper rooted thing that what is this data used and then after that let's say
1: then do find some of the data users right. I mean like in health for example let's say pooling of some of this data through privacy preserving mechanisms like right? differential privacy and so on. Potentially let's say exploitation is not there but this data can be very tracking epidemics right. prediction. Uh, then definitely the wall garden kind of a setup is how harmful because then the use of the data which can benefit from combining all of this can be yeah, useful. for the community good, yeah. right? Exactly. So that's there. I don't know what the future holds, but I mean, what, what the companies are basically trying to do is the, the winner takes all kind of setup that we will become, we, we will basically have the entire community within our system and then we'll everything with it. So that's at least what the business is, is trying to aim for. And I think the antitrust kind of regulations coming up in Europe, I think they are showing the right way forward, both to prevent this kind of... Of, uh, monopolization as well as the intent behind things like GDPR is, is fine right they're really about data ownership residing right, various purpose specification mechanisms to use the data the gaps however are all in implementation are companies really following these regulations right how do you ensure that these actually do that so that's where there are gaps and there's no easy solutions as such so so yeah so I mean I, I don't know what the future will look like but definitely there will be greater safety in what the data is used and then yeah, have some for greater cooperation so that data which is for the commerce is shared and our mechanisms are built for that sharing and exchange and then the data can straight for better science.
0: Talk about ethical and all. Now, the flip side of it is a good regulation or a regulatory mechanism. I want your point of view in the future, whole information communication technology for development, how the regulatory environment will shape up and where do you think are the focus areas and priorities for our regulators now to actually start shaping it before it becomes a big humor which cannot roll as we see in the way the Syria has has now even become bigger than the governments and the influence of the government yeah so i think there are two
1: perspectives one is how should
0: this or, or what kind
1: of regulation like should come in and here actually the sad part is that nobody in the world has good answers so far so like i mean gdpr and, and then antitrust mechanisms so europe is definitely showing the way but we know that even that is inadequate. India definitely needs speed. The data protection bill, for example, is still not through. And even with the current bill, there are many issues that have been pointed out, right? On governments, for example, having access, be, being able to access it. But at least that law is required because without that, even, I mean, the, the how do you really take action to fix and to control misuse? So so regulation definitely needs to evolve, but unfortunately, nobody has the answers. So, so this is one of the other things, right? That the second... Second part is that, how do you fix this? And this is again where I say that technologists have a strong role to play that because they are the ones ultimately building these systems. These are people like some of my closest friends, for example. Nobody is sort of, none of them are like bad people in the sense that they, they want to control others, exploit others or anything. But yet the this building are causing grief in some cases and there is this very wide tech clash. I mean, many of them have also, I mean, they talk about right the emotion that, that issues that they go through because earlier when they would go to work it was all with a very positive mindset now they're sort of afraid of talking to other people and saying that I work in yeah, I work in that company because the narrative is that well the evil is not doing the right thing right like meta and others right, right destroying the yeah. thing so it's causing them a lot of anguish that right how do we do it so I think that's the other place where I at least think that there is scope for a lot of change because technologists are realizing that they are in a path they can hold their and with such cases happening with for example Google now has a union the alphabet workers union Correct. and these unions are now their agenda is quite different from the blue collar kind of that we see otherwise the, the trade unions worker unions typically would talk about working conditions that we want more wages safer working conditions all, all of right. that now what the alphabet workers union and similar initiative right similar collective action they are actually saying that well we want to say in what our labour is being used for we, we want to be able to say that well we are spending our energy in building this product we want to be able to say what Google should be able for and and this was one of these cases where face recognition and some technologies ultimately was wanting to sell this to the US military, but then they did not. So there are some successes also. And Sorry, right, so that's another mechanism I think can be the more people start thinking and exploring about these. I think that is another way in which it can be more proactive as compared to regulation, which typically ends up being reactive. Tech is evolving much faster than what the regulation themselves. can keep up. Yeah, Actually, I'll just point one other point also, which again, I don't have a clear answer to this, but right, so if you look at tech- technology in the medical space. Right. Over there, there are such strong review procedures, right. Uh, right? I mean, you can't release a drug or like a medical device without it having gone it's through a lives at risk. Sorry? It's a life at risk. If it it's is lives not at properly risk. tested, people yeah. could die. Exactly. But I mean, we never think of information technology in that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, either one way is to say, well, maybe information technology is not that big a deal. Maybe health is, is a much bigger deal. Mm-hmm. That's one way to think about it. But actually, intertech is causing a lot of That's issues. Right. And, and social distance. yeah social dis even i mean even physically we've had right. cases even like deaths which have been attributed uh, failures of art, biometric or authentication which have led to like starvation deaths things so so i mean that is also some it's no easy answer because the way it sort of gets shot down is that if you start treating information technology in a similar way then it will just kill innovation if it has you guidelines for each right. and every technology that you release so but yeah i mean i think these are questions we debated as Tiki gets more per Evasive, sector-specific, guidelines it was, I don't know. But but I think these are all important things that I think we all have to learn and actively debate, and
0: right? Adi, I want to the regulatory discussion, our Indian context here. Our government has created such a tech-based platform systems. You have your Aadhaar, you have your WAX, you have your financial system, public health. Now, obviously the government's intent and vision was actually great, but somewhere down the line, as as the system grew, their regulation or allowance allowance also grew. As a result, say for instance, the Aadhaar card linked to several other systems like your banks, income tax, health benefits, vaccines, and uh, etc. had to be challenged in court. And some of these decisions taken by different regulators or government departments had to be challenged in the court and reverse. Now, you see in the U.S. and many other countries, Aadhaar-like initiatives have been there for eight years, and apart perfectly well so why this sort of an issue in regulating such public good uh, technologies and getting it challenged time and again in our code because our regulations are not great or we are not having a great model on the basis of which other has to operate yeah I mean I think with a lot with
1: readiness of different mm-hmm. stakeholders right and these stakeholders there are many many stakeholders there are of course the users right beneficiaries right can they uh, right to what extent can they use if, if they're biomacking is it for them to re-register fix some of that there are those issues. Then there are stakeholders like the government departments, which, which run many of these, uh, or which use many of these services. And are they following the right standard operating that sort of have been laid down? Are they accountable? Are they, right, if, if that if they're not following action taken, then of course, right, the agencies which are driving the can, the way these technologies need to talk to each other, are they really listening to, are they really understanding, right, places where it's wrong? Have they thought about building adequate, like, diagnosis mechanism to figure out, right? I mean, like this other and bank inquiries, such a uh, common thing which uh, right troubles so many people. It happens right. because, but there's no solution which sort of tells you that why is this thing broken? Is it because my name is spelled incorrectly? Is it because my Aadhaar number has been entered incorrectly? Is it because my mobile number is re- wrongly registered? Is it because some wrong Aadhaar number has been connected to this bank account? There's no diagnosis mechanism, right? It's like basically right probing a black box and then trying out different things and eventually right after like five six tries, you might figure out okay this is how it is. So I think there is, so EF Shoemaker, came back, he pointed this stuff, appropriate technology and he was talking about it from a, in a very different context it's like agricultural implements and which are manufactured using local material and they can be repaired locally and everything. But actually point all of that was that the technology is such that you can understand it. People can, if something, they know, fix it. And that was, I think, the core message. And, and there were, I mean, other things like local, the environment and all of that as well. But I think the core message for technology really was, and sort of what we were talking from a digital literacy standpoint, that if, if the technology Technology is moving so fast that people are not really able to grasp it, then it becomes very difficult because if it's getting misused, they wouldn't it will also be difficult to authorities to design the right policies or to regulate its usage. And so I think that's one of the issues even with systems like Aadhaar, that yeah, I mean all said and done, great. I mean you digitize and you eliminate intermediaries and all of that. But actually what it's led to is many of these you can say corner cases. But I don't use that term because and then it gets dismissed as a case a corner case, right? Focus of cases that it works and let not worry about the corner case. But these cases can be quite significant in terms of numbers and the problems right. that they can cause and and then it also requires that humility to accept that okay these things are going wrong and now let us see how to, how to fix it but this is the other part where one thing I'm embarrassed about the high tech industry is that we always come as people who know and even though actually we are very nice, because we most of the time we've just been sitting in a lab working on a computer we have not even stepped out and actually met the users who are using our things and that's where I think just have this belief in, you know, just because we can write cool programs and run systems which are used by billions of users, we think we're very powerful. We're like God. And just because we tell the computer what to do and it does what, it, what we ask it to do but actually the, we miss out. It sort of made us less humble. We don't have that humility to accept that places where we're going wrong is actually because of the corner cases specifically that we missed and how
0: do we, so, so that humility is very, so that we then start addressing itself. So see, the humility part is if there is a mistake, we can, you know, issue a patch <laughs> right. to correct. Right. And if right. there is a mistake in that patch, like our booster vaccine, we'll issue a booster patch, and <laughs> that's how you, the humility is not to accept the mistake, yeah. it can always be corrected by a patch on a program right. and updated and whatnot. So, I right. guess that's the whole thing at mass markets, technologies, and systems. I guess need to evolve tests, like mentioned yeah. in our healthcare parlance as well, where it has to be tested, it has to be foolproof before you actually go live or release right. instead of you know, okay, do patchwork, patchwork, patchwork. Work like many startups in our domain has gone in and then done. Right. Before I want to conclude, I have two more questions. Yeah. Adi, why is there mobile uh, laureate in the social development like the Gramin from Bangladesh, from India? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I I don't know. I Are mean, we so foolish be? that don't understand a basic tech and we can't create a Gramin like? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I think that's it. It is. It is. I think it's a great question you're asking, Kapil. Because I mean, the point is that when we actually go on the ground, we see so many, so many such fabulous innovative and I mean, right? You know, things like so. I sort of lately become interested in the environment space, and just recently, right, visited places where wastelands have been restored, and it's like a lush, really forest, literally. That's that's come up over there over the years, and it required very good planning. I, I've met some people who run these farmer cooperatives, and it's amazing what they have accomplished. They have basically, they over the years they've been accumulating, building a corpus, and now they've been able to corpus to set, set up their own dal processing units and their own seed shop and I mean they're really challenging the market system um, Mm. by by sort of right building up their own strength and and it's led to so I mean the innovations are tremendous I think what is missing really is is being able to help scale those innovations and a lot of it comes down to capital a lot of it comes down to investors and I think the investors are chasing very like superficial numbers instead of actually investing in these kind of right we can call them ventures right in these kind of ventures which, which are actually doing much much harder work and which may so these cooperatives might be, right they might be 30,000 right instead of right everybody these days talks in terms of millions right nothing less than 10-20 million number of users makes sense to anybody these days but but why because because then the impact is also just that superficial but here you're actually deep very very deep impact the lives of those communities so I think those metrics judge impact those are important and if you start investing right if, if such initiatives are scaled up I think there will be tons of Nobel Prizes for because the in, the innovations, the models that people have tried out are, are amazing. There's, there's a lot out there.
0: Last question and this is a very topical one on moonlighting. Hmm. You see, there is a guy who has given so much to his lifetime earnings to a foundation which is doing so much impact control it's one of the largest foundation in country and his son says you know what people have to work for me they can't moonlight and then he earns that profit and the back foundation on the ground such a circular uh, economy that he has created his own company and his father's foundation I want to know a techie in his free time work for a social venture and creates some impact on the ground what's his problem everything mm. has to be driven through his father's foundation mm. all the profits all the work that expects them to work for and not contribute a single time or a money or or intellect of that techie, social uh, problem or a social sector, isn't that very restrictive? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is, I, I guess. I mean, I'm sorry, I happen to be an ex-employee of that company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think
1: it is It is in, in the employees' right also. Because, I mean, the contract that they sign with, with their employers, right, that also is about limited number of hours, right, right. In, in which they're supposed to contribute. So anything they do outside of that is sort of all first pers- three times so i don't think there is anything anything wrong in that i think it's sort of i think these kind of cases should be should should be talked about because the employee employer contract should be questioned i i i, right? so, I mean uh, before this we were talking about te- tech technologists being in a strong position that they can bargain right effectively with their employers and i think this is probably uh, some of these these mechanisms which can be strategically used to help uh, techies gain power right so be it about how they use their free time that's that's one part but also sort of about what they want them to do actually not do because ultimately they they, it is their labor and whatever intellectual property they're making right the contract says that okay now this intellectual property actually belongs to the employee and but it is being assigned as part of the contract to the employer now all of these things are i think up for debate that right what you do in your free time or under what rights should you assign the ip of your technology to your employer i think all of this should be questioned Uh, so there was there was one of the father's ethic Norbert Weiner, an MIT professor. So he wrote a book, Human Value of Human Beings. And part of that is also an open letter that wrote where some military people asked for access to some of his research and he actually refused. He said that, I don't trust, I don't trust that you will handle this research. And so he refused to give it to them. So this sort
0: of, is, is these are kind of mechanisms employees can use because. because you know, one I mean, basic the, fundamental, uh, I'm, I'm giving you my number of hours for which yeah. you are paying. Right. Now I have a certain intellect, I have a certain skill and if I want to do something for the society at large, create a program or a platform or whatever or maybe join Gramwani, the person in my free time and me, happiness, why should this be considered a moonlighting that he is working and he should exclusively only work for, for me as an employee and not do anything else in his free yeah. time and should uh, you guys not go and challenge such you know, employers yeah, at large? True. Yeah, yeah. I, I think. I think. Great, Adi, it's pl- pleasure talking to you and talking on a whole host of issues there are so many more topics and issues I wanted to talk to you but we have come at the end of our time I really want to thank you for coming and talking to us sharing your views on your book inspiring book as well and on behalf of our sponsors and I really want to thank you for making it possible to come on our podcast and talk very candidly on technology and can it drive impact and happiness in society no thanks
1: so much KK and thanks to to all your team for having me it was really a pleasure to you i i really enjoyed it thank you so much and
0: look forward to catching you soon
1: yeah absolutely absolutely bye take care bye